See, I told you. Good stuff. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to pray because I need it, and perhaps maybe you do too. Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for nailing our sin to the cross. Thank you for your perfect work, um, Lord, in our lives. It's slow and tedious and painful. Often I fail to submit to it and and sin and and sin against you and against others. And I pray that you would forgive me for my sins. Forgive us for our sins, Lord, and help us as we come before you today to hear your word from your spirit, truth spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. For many years, Admiral Hyman Rickover was head of the U.S. Nuclear Navy. His admirers and his critics held strongly opposing views about his stern and demanding style. For many years, every officer aboard a nuclear submarine was personally interviewed and approved by Rickover. Those who went through those interviews usually came out shaking in fear or in total intimidation. Among those was a 96-year-old who just recently received his vaccine vaccine, and said the first thing he was going to do was go back to church. His name is President Jimmy Carter. He applied for service under Rickover, and this is, account, this is his account of the interview as it went down. He says, I applied for the nuclear submarine program, and Admiral Rickover was interviewing me for the job. It was the first time I'd met the Admiral, and we sat in a large room by ourselves for more than two hours. He let me choose any subject I wished to discuss, and so very carefully I chose those which I knew the most about. Current events, seamanship, music, literature, naval tactics, electronics, gunnery. And he began to ask me a series of questions with increasing difficulty. In each instance, he proved that I knew relatively little about the subject I had chosen. He always looked right into my eyes, and he never smiled. I was saturated with cold sweat. Finally, he asked a question, and I thought I could redeem myself. He said, how would you stand in your class at the Naval Academy? Now, since I had completed my sophomore year at Georgia Tech before entering Annapolis as a plebe, I'd done pretty well. I swelled my chest pride and answered, sir, I stood 59th in my class of 820. I sat back to wait for the congratulations. It never came. Instead, the question, did you do your best? I started to say yes, but I remembered who this was and recalled several of the many times at the academy when I could have learned a little more about our allies our enemies, our weapons, our strategy, and so forth. I was only human, after all, and finally I gulped and said, No, sir, I didn't always do my best. He looked at me for a long time and turned his chair around to end the interview. He asked one final question, which I'll never forget. Why not? God calls us to do some very hard things. God calls us to do our very absolute best. And it's not for our own fulfillment. It's not for recognition. It's not for success or achievement 
or money or anything else. There is only one reason in this entire world why you should do your best. Spoiler alert, his name is Jesus. Let me show you three different areas in today's text in which we're supposed to do our best, and there are some hard stuff in here. We're going to talk about marriage, parenting, and work. And more than likely, regardless of which situation you're in in life, you'll probably identify with something in this passage. So hang on, even if you're single, even if you're a kiddo, even if you're retired, there is something in God's word for you here today. We're going to look at the what, and then we're going to look at the why. So the two big sections will be what and why, what and why. And under each one, there's a um, set of three. So under the first one, the what, there is marriage, parenting, and work. Under the second one, there's a why with three things, and I'll give you those three things here in a second. But let's begin with the Lord's Word in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. If you have a Bible, feel free to follow along. We're going to dive in deep to it today, so you'll want to take notes if you're taking notes. If you're not, just follow along up on the screen. We've got the words there for you. Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 17, it says this. And whatever you do, whatever, it doesn't matter, in every single area of your life, in word or deed, do your absolute crazy best in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's marriage and parenting. Children, obey your parents in everything. Oh, man. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Guilty. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And again, whatever, whatever you do, this giant gargantuan umbrella, work heartily from your suke, from your soul, from your psychology, suke, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For guess what? You are serving Christ. For the wrongdoer will be repaid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality. Now listen to this couplet here. Masters, treat your bond service fairly, knowing that you also have a master. Master, you've got a master. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's all kinds of good stuff in here, but why not start with the hardest? Wives, submit. There you go. I said it. May not be an easy sermon today, but I don't have a choice, really. I consider myself bound by the word of God, and so I'm going to stick to it and say what it says. There's a lot of us out here who don't want that, including other preachers and other churches and yada, yada. But the reality is sometimes the Bible says some hard stuff, stuff that doesn't exactly agree with our modern sensibilities. 
things that make us uncomfortable or aren't cool. And so we're going to try to play them down or write them off or change the meaning as much as we can. Wives, submit. Oh, that's getting hard, Pastor Jeremy. Well, hang on. Let me work with this a little bit. What I want to do over the next little bit is show you why this is a legit command. So don't take this next few moments as, wow, Pastor Jeremy's spending all his time harping on wives. This isn't really talking to the wives. This is talking to the legitimacy of the Bible and saying why the Bible is not culturally conditioned or we can just write it off however we want. If you chase this word down, I'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment. It's not just for wives that people are told to submit. I'll show you all kinds of other ways we're told to submit. The life group questions, you download the PDF, you'll see every single occurrence of the word submit in the Bible. Okay, so we're not picking and choosing here. This just happens to be the one we're covering today. If you're joining us today, welcome. (laughs) What a day you came for. Join in the fun. But this is really based on stuff that was way before it in the book of Colossians. The way that I believe the Lord wants me to teach is through the Bible. Verse by verse, book by book, and that's the way we roll. And so this is just the sequential following of what the Lord had laid out months ago. You happen to be here today, and that means the Lord has something specific for you to hear from this text. So I didn't plan this for Bob's baptism day. This is just the way it is. So here it is. Um, number one, this, this command, wives submit, husbands love, children obey, fathers don't provoke, none of those are culturally conditioned, okay? So a, a lot of times we want to keep, you know, the children obey. We like that one. <laughs> Let's hang on to that. And wives, I would think that you want to keep the husband love part, right? Like, don't do away with that. That's not culturally conditioned. But this whole submit part, maybe that comes from a patriarchal society that's, you know, down on women. And it's not a liberated, modern, intelligent view like ours. That's called chronological snobbery, by the way. That's what C.S. Lewis calls it when we look back and think they're dumber than we are. But here's the thing. Let me show you five reasons why this is legit. It's not culturally conditioned. This command is for today. Okay? Five reasons. Um, the first is something Christians call the Trinity. Okay, you can write this down or you can download these slides later. The Trinity, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, that's absolutely essential to what you believe. One God, three persons. The Father's God, the Son is God, Spirit's God. Father's not the Son, Son's not the Spirit, Spirit's not the Father. Amen? Now, they're different, but they're the same. They're different in... Their economic sense, but not their ontological sense. They're different in the way they function, but they are not different in their value. You see, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And believe me, you better worship the Dickens out of every single one of them. You worship Jesus like there's no tomorrow. But Jesus died on the cross. God the Father did not, okay? And it's the Holy Spirit who indwells you. There's a different function there. Are they all all all-knowing? Are they all all all-powerful? Are they all ever-present? Yes. Are they all God? Yes. Are they all deserving of worship? Yes. But there are different persons with different jobs. They do different things. 
It doesn't make any of them less valuable. It just makes them different. Guess what? Male and female. We're different. Can we get there even today? Can we get there and actually admit and say we're different? We are different. Okay, God made us different. I will show you Jesus himself who says that. Look at Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 6. Jesus says this, not Jeremy. Jesus, I am appealing to the Son of God. I am not coming up with this on my own. Jesus says, have you not read? He's, he's talking to the people, yo, Genesis, hello, the beginning. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? We're different. And therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Look, Jesus says we're different. And Jesus says there's male and female. And Jesus says this is the way God created it. So within our image-bearing reflection of God's glory, what it means to be human, there are two image-bearers, both equal in value, but different in function. Equal in value and different in function, just like the Trinity. So there's a Trinity, okay, number one. The Trinity is beyond culture. Trinity was poor before creation, way beyond after creation. There's always Trinity. It's, it's super culture. It's way above it. Number two, there's creative order. Jesus appeals to it himself when he talks about divorce. He's like, look, this, this goes way before the law. You guys can't trip me up on this. You want to ask a preacher a hard question? Try divorce. We know it's messy. We know the world's sinful. We know it stinks. And we'd probably be divorced too if we are in your shoes. But here's what the Bible says. And these guys tried to trap Jesus in it because they knew it was such a hard question. But what he does is steps out of their trap and into God's original intent. Genesis chapter 1, male and female, Adam and Eve. That's the way it works. So number one, the Trinity. Number two, created order. Number three, something we call literary structure. Literary structure. Why are these commands not something we can just write off and say, yeah, that's just their culture, not ours? Literary structure. I already hinted at this. In our church, it's okay. If you're not used to talking in church, it's okay. In our church, you can talk a little bit. I get to talk the most. But let me ask you, there are three groups of people in this section that are addressed. What is, well, three, yeah, three sets of relationships, several groups. What's the first group of people that it's talking to? When it says, verse 18, who's it talking to? Wives and who then? And what's the next group? Children and parents. And the next group? Servants and? Okay. The Bible never tells kiddos, hey, you're the boss of your parents. Have fun. The Bible never tells servants, hey, you're the boss of your masters. Have fun. And guess what? The Bible never tells wives, hey, you're the boss of your husbands. Have fun. Never, ever, ever does it say that. In fact, when you look at this text, what you see is the literary structure shows a very consistent pattern. 
The one who follows, the one who leads. The one who follows, the one who leads. The one who follows, the one who leads. Three times. On purpose, so we get it. Wives to husbands. Did we show that slide already? We can show it if you haven't yet. Wives to husbands, children to parents, servants to masters. That's the way this is structured. If you had any questions about it, look at the text. One who follows, the one who leads. So, number one, the Trinity. Number two, creative order. Number three, literary structure. Number four, logic. It would make no sense whatsoever if we were to, um, you know, drop one command, we'd have to drop the other. It's like this. Jesus says, you know, he'll separate people and one to eternal life and the other to eternal destruction. And some people in our modern world want to say there's no such thing as eternal suffering. You suffer for a while and then you go away. That's called annihilationism. Our church believes in eternal destiny, either forever in heaven or forever in hell. That's what Jesus says. Well, can't we do away with the forever in hell part? Sure, if you want to do away with forever in heaven. Because those two things hang together. And you can't just pull out one forever and leave the other. You know, they, it's called synonymous parallelism in Hebrew. They put them right like this, and they use the exact same words on purpose to make their point double emphatic. It's eternal. That's what it is. Life or death, eternal. Same thing. And here in this text, it doesn't work to pull out love or pull out submission and keep love. It doesn't work like that. So Trinity, creative order, literary structure, logic, and the passage itself. The Bible tells you when things are culturally conditioned or when things are limited. It'll say, you know, this is going to happen for a thousand years or this is for a time and a time and a half or this is for whatever. It makes it clear when there are limited provisions. It does specify certain periods of time. But in this text, there's no evidence whatsoever of saying, well, this ended in the first century. It's, these commands are all for today. Are they hard? Yes. But here we go. Oh, one other. <laughs> just, just for fun. So I hope I've just made the point that these are not culturally conditioned. These go beyond culture. But then Christians who will admit that will say, well, yeah, but Ephesians 5.21 says uh, this. Let me quote it exactly correctly. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So see there. Husbands must submit to their wives. Wait a minute. What did it say? Let's go back. Submitting, 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 submitting. Does it say husbands submit? No, it says submitting to one another. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. You're right, because it's a participle. It's not a command. It's not a, it's not a verb. It's modifying another verb. You want to know the command? The command is be filled with the Spirit. Here's a diagram of that. Now, I know you can't see all this, and this may seem like I'm totally geeking out. I am. It's fun. But listen, i got to make the point here so we don't just write this off and say, well, it's culturally conditioned. It doesn't, you know, just for those people way back then. Or we could say, well, there's another verse that says, no, it doesn't. Let me show you what it says. Here's what it says in my cool little handy-dandy laser pen. There's a blue top line. That blue is the command. Be filled with the Spirit. 
It's Ephesians 5.18. That's the command. The command, the imperative, is be filled with the Spirit. That's what all people are supposed to do. Well, be filled with the Spirit. What in the world is that? I got no idea. Well, don't worry. The Apostle Paul will tell us. It means to address one another. That's why he says addressing one another. What does it also look like? Singing, making melody, giving thanks, and being submissive or submitting. Oh, so being filled means all those things. Yes. Okay, so tell me more. What does submitting look like? Well, the apostle says in your context, it looks like wives to husbands, children to parents, and servants to masters. That's what submitting looks like. And he never flops it the other way around. Okay. So now let's go to verse 18. (laughs) Verse 18, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, that's a command. That's a command from God to you. But let me be clear. Who is he talking to again? Who is he talking to? Okay. Wives, raise your hand. He's talking to you. Ladies who aren't wives at the moment, raise your hand. He's not talking to you. You don't have husbands. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, husbands, raise your hand. Wives, you know which one is yours, right? Submit to that one. There's one husband, okay? There's one husband for you, and there's one husband for the church. His name is Jesus. And there's a reason you submit to yours is because we submit to him. To defy one is to defy the other. You submit to your husband. You don't have to submit to every man on the earth. To your husband, it's yes, sir. To the other guy, it's uh uh-uh. Okay? To your husband, yes, sir. To the other guy, no, thank you. If you're not married, that means you should run for president. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's what the Bible says, please. Now, listen. The next thing we say in our culture is, yeah, well, what about abuse? Well, what about it? Look at the verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. What's it say next? As is fitting to the Lord. Is abuse fitting to the Lord? No. I'm going to say blank no. You don't submit in sin. If if your husband says, go rob a bank, do you go rob the bank? No. Your husband's doing terrible, mean, horrible, awful things. Do you submit to that? No. Is that pleasing to the Lord? No. The Bible never tells you to sin, okay? And it knows that there are bad men out here, just like it knows that there are bad bosses And in both contexts, it'll give some provision for that. And in this context, the provision is, hey, wives, 
as is fitting to the Lord. If it's not fitting to the Lord, don't do it. Now listen, the Lord doesn't care what color the carpet is. So if it's an argument over the color of the carpet, you might have to give in. But if it's something about evil, don't submit. So knowing that one in three women are abused, let me show you this, okay? Here is a screenshot of Midland's um, shelter house. They have a brand new, beautiful facility on Waldo Road, and it will take excellent care of you. If you're in trouble, go there, please, by all means. If you're in big trouble, call 911. If it's not a 911, call this number right here. Call 989-835-6771. If you go to this website, you'll see the red on there. That's taking into account that someone may be monitoring your computer activity. And if that's an issue, you click that red thing. It'll drop you away from there. And no one will even know you visited that site. They want to make it safe for you and they want to take good care of you. Their shelter house in our prayer time today, you'll see us praying for the Michigan Abolitionist Project where we deal with sex trafficking and all that terrible stuff. The Bible hates that. God hates that. He hates it. Let me say it again. He hates that. That's evil. And God will destroy it. And I will show you. Well, let's look at it now since I'm going after it. Verse 25. Look, what does 25 say? The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. If someone's hurting you, God's going to get them. I promise. That's what the Bible says. Verse 25. I can point to it. The wrongdoer will be paid back. If you're an abuser, you're in trouble. God is coming after you. You think someone doesn't see? There's someone who sees. His name is Elroy, the God who sees. That's a warning for you. That's an encouragement for her. So then, wives, submit. Submit. Now, let me show you just a little bit more on this. I know I'm spending a lot of time here because I think this is the one that people will challenge the most, okay? I'm not trying to beat up on wives. I'm actually, I I hope you heard me. I was giving them a way out. I'm telling them what not to submit to. I'm telling them they're of equal value. I'm telling you, if you're a wife, you don't have to, if you're not a wife, you don't have to submit. I'm doing my best, but let me show you this word here, upotasso. Upotasso, that's a Greek word. It's a compound word, upo and tasso. Tasso means to arrange, okay? So let me give a little illustration. My wife is amazing. (laughs) Come on, guys, help me out here. I'm preaching on submission. I want to go home, all right? (laughs) It's a time to, you know, reel it back in a little here. No, she really is. I I know my wife's sitting here today, and so I know I got to do this, and I got to live with it, so be careful what I say. She is amazing. You've seen her up here playing her arrangements. Why does she not bring music up there? Because she arranged it. She doesn't often tell people that. I'm telling you that now. Sorry, honey. But those are all those are all hers. It's not music that she bought and downloaded and whatever. She just arranged it. Now, what happens? It becomes more beautiful because it's arranged just right. Her knowledge of music theory allows her to combine things and mix them together and stir them up so that the end result is amazing. You see, when you arrange something just right, it becomes even more beautiful. It's when things are a mess 
and chaotic and out of order that they're repulsive and ugly and gross. God is a God of order. And he loves arrangement. He's created patterns. If you're a scientist, you see these amazing patterns in creation and chemistry and everywhere else that God has invested in our world. That's who God is. He's a God of order, not chaos. He does not want your home to be a place of chaos. There is an ordered arrangement. And that is upotasso, arrangement under. There is an established authority. Hey, this is not just for homes. This is for government. This is for church. This is for every area. Romans 13, guess what you'll find there? Submit the same word. So then, upotasso is to arrange under. It's orderly. It's wise. John Stott says it like this, upotasso means not an unthinking obedience to rules, but rather a grateful acceptance of care. It is a grateful acceptance of care. And what does that look like in Scripture? Let me show you Psalm 37.7. You know this verse, probably if you've been in church before, you know this one. Be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Guess what? The Greek word for be still is upotasso. Arrange yourself under God's glorious care. Submit to him. Now, that's hard. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about wives and husbands. Jesus is perfect. And how well do we submit to him? I'm asking you to submit to someone who isn't. Double hard. Upotasso, submit. Now, I I know I'm spent a lot of time there, but we're still going. Here's husbands in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, or love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A couple weeks ago, if you weren't here for this, we talked about what love is. We said it's agape, not eros. This word here is agape, not eros, meaning... Eros is a love that sees value and desires and wants it. Agape is some type of love that sees that which is unlovable, chooses to love it, and creates value in the thing it loves. It doesn't love because of the preexistent value. It loves and creates it. So when husbands, you're told to love your wife, it doesn't matter if she is stinky. It doesn't matter if she is ugly. It doesn't matter if she has changed a little since you married her, let's just say. It says love your wife. And if you don't see value, you better start creating some. Because that's called agape. Love her, man. And there's no getting out of this one. You can fake submission, but you can't fake love. Love is sacrificial, love is kind, love is all those good things that only Jesus can do just right. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh-oh. <laughs> that means a lot. That means your bar just got raised to the nth degree. There's no coming down from that. The beauty of it, though, is Christ's self-sacrificial love and giving himself for the church, his bride, is a picture. It's a picture of the gospel. Verse 26 says, 
He did this for the church that he might sanctify her, to make her holy, to create value. We didn't have value. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He creates the value, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word so that he might present the church more beautiful without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. This, my friends, is why marriage is such a big stinking deal. We can't kick this thing out the door because if you do that, you attack the gospel. Marriage, man and woman, is a picture of Christ in the church, which is Jesus and redemption. If there's a billboard going down the road and you see a man and a wife on there, you should see Jesus in church. You should see God and redemption. But if it's not a male and a female, it's wrong. And it wipes away what God has created. This is a picture of beautiful agape love. Don't blot it out. If you blot it out, you blot out the gospel. Well, shoot. Who do you think wants to blot out the gospel? There's a good way to do it. You get rid of marriage, picture of Christ in the church. You get rid of Adam and Eve, say there's, you know, no such thing as creation. And all of a sudden, you've done away with God's grand redemptive narrative. The epic story is changed. Whatever comes, comes. There's no one in charge, no one in command, no one cares. But if you have an original male and female, where the first Adam failed, the second will succeed. Don't destroy the gospel. Leave marriage alone. And that means you better love your wife. And lady, you better be nice to him. All right. Next. Children and parents, you probably know where this is going. Uh, Children, verse 20, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. But my parents make mistakes. So did Jesus's. And he never did. And he still obeyed. Wouldn't that stink? I mean, in my household, pretty much always my kids try to convince me that it's their brother and sister's fault. But Jesus could actually say that. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that be annoying? (laughs) Right? Like, it was always his fault. You always, well, yeah, he's always right. What can we say? Mom, Dad, I think you got this one wrong. You know what? I don't think Jesus said that. He could have, but I don't think he did, even when they got it wrong. Why? Luke 2, 51 says, Jesus went down with them to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. Jesus submitted to his sinful parents, even as perfect almighty God. If perfect almighty God can submit to sinful humans, can't we submit a little ourselves? Kids, obey your parents and everything. And if you do, you will be blessed. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you. We want it to go well for you. If we care about you, we do. Now, maybe you have a parent that doesn't care about you, and just like we talked to the ladies earlier, if you're facing abuse, tell your teacher. 
If your teacher doesn't listen, tell your counselor. If your counselor doesn't listen, tell your coach. If your coach doesn't listen, tell your principal. If they don't listen, tell the assistant principal. If they don't listen, tell the gym teacher. There's somebody at your school, a teacher, who you can talk to in private and tell them they know what to do. If you're in trouble, tell somebody, please. Don't hurt yourself or let someone else hurt you. The Bible never says to do that. The Bible says obey in everything as is pleasing to the Lord. And if someone's hurting you, that's not pleasing to the Lord. So kids, that's what you do. Fathers, I'm going to go quick here. Um, forgiving is the absolute most important thing. Perhaps it says do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Hard to do. I mean, dads, let's admit it. We may make fun of the guy on the ball field who's going crazy, but we've probably gone crazy a few times ourselves. We want what's best for them. We try really hard. We know what they're going to do, and we get upset when they do it. But we need to be careful. We need to remember that thing we talked about a few weeks ago. Here's just a reminder of what that thing is. We need to think. We need to ask ourselves, oops, think. There we go. We need to ask ourselves, is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Well, maybe, but is it helpful? Well, yeah, it's helpful, but does it inspire them or does it, as this text, discourage them? Is it necessary? I mean, yeah, those socks are there. They've been there a hundred times. Could I pick them up? Probably. Okay. Don't get any ideas. Is it necessary? Is it kind? Man, those are hard. Conviction city those are the things think agape remember agape love it creates value you don't go into parenting because you're going to get something out of it (laughs) not at all it's all about sacrifice my wife says i'm a little jaded but here's my saying ready (laughs) you make your life miserable so theirs won't be that's parenting you sacrifice so they benefit you discipline so they know how to handle it when someone tells them no It's hard, but that's agape. And believe me, kiddos, we admit, we get it wrong. Full on. Not perfect, but you're the kids God chose for us. We're the parents God chose for you. Here we go. So husbands, wives, children's fathers, and finally, um, servants and masters. Now, um, let me be clear, just like we've talked about abuse, Let's say this up front. Slavery is wrong. Let me say it again. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is terrible. Slavery is sinful. Slavery is horrible. There is no excuse for it ever. The only person we're supposed to serve is Jesus. He's the perfect master. Anyone other than that is not perfect. The Bible never condones slavery. Some people say that because it talks about slavery. It doesn't. It doesn't condone it. What it does is it says it's bad, it's real, and this is why you have a difference between an earthly master and your heavenly father. And it always says earthly master. It recognizes this is not eternal. This is temporal, and it stinks, but we have to deal with it. And so there, again, is the promise of verse 25 that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Look, you're a white guy standing up on the stage talking about slavery. I am. You don't know anything about it. You're right. You've never experienced it. You're right. I haven't. But Jesus has. He's brown. And he knows what it's like to be part of an oppressed people. 
And he assures you of justice. It is God's promise to you. That's why it talks like this. Because it knows that this is not okay. And you will face injustice. And the Bible promises justice will come. So then, the cool thing is, is the way this is set up as I get ready to close here, we're all serving someone. So it's not just like people in a certain situation. Everyone has a master. That's why it's like masters, masters. Again, that parallelism. Masters, masters. You have a master. Therefore, verse 23, here's the umbrella. Here's what you've got to come away with today. Here's the most important part. Whatever you do, do your best. Don't go to that interview. This guy had to talk to an admiral. You think an admiral is scary? What do you think it's going to be like to talk to Jesus? Jesus sits there and says, tell me something you know. Oh, yeah? Did you do your best? Whatever you do, work heartily, suke, from your soul as for the Lord, knowing with 100% certainty the promise of Almighty God who cannot be stopped that you will receive a reward. It doesn't matter what you do. The smallest cup of water offered to someone in Jesus' name will be rewarded. You will receive it. Future of certainty as your reward. For why? Because you serve your husband? No. Because you serve your wife? No. Because you serve your children? No. Because you serve your boss? No. You are serving the Lord Christ. Why should I do any of this? Why should I try? Why not? Admiral, the answer is because you are serving Christ. Klein Snodgrass says, then no relation is merely a relation. It's just a context for relating to Christ. No job is merely work. It's just a place to serve Jesus. Why should we do this? Because as Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, the original slave knows, the Lord sees, the Lord knows, and like we said on Easter Sunday, the Lord will reward. Father, we thank you and praise you. Thanks for today, Lord. I know it's a hard word. It's hard for me. It's hard for some others. But it's good and it's from you. We pray, God, that you will bless it, that you will change us, you will be glorified, that you will forgive us, that you will make us right and cause us to submit. Thank you now that we can even sing to you, Lord. We shouldn't even have this opportunity, but you made it possible. We praise you and thank you, Lord God, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.